Please grab your Bibles and please turn to the letter of James. You'll see on page five of the order of service that it's page 1011, if you've got a visitor's Bible. And then on the the back of the order of service are the the sermon notes. Rupert's already uh, prayed for us, but let me just lead us in a time of prayer and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for your word, and if any of us are feeling tired or weary this morning, we pray that you would give us focus, um, that you would help us uh, to listen, that you would open our ears and soften our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this week we move to chapter 2, and the reading starts from verse 1 and ends in verse 13. So, from verse 1 then. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There is a mother and a son who are getting ready to move house. It's near the end of the day and the son is upstairs playing with two toys, a cowboy and a spaceman. And the mother opens the door and says, all this packing is making me hungry. What do you say to dinner at Pizza Planet? The son looks up from playing with his two toys and he's very excited about dining at Pizza Planet and he runs off and he asks his mum, can I bring some toys? But the mother says, you can bring just one toy. And there we have it. The son must show partiality. 
and he puts away his old-fashioned cowboy toy for this new, exciting, flashy spaceman toy. Now, James didn't live long enough to see Toy Story, <laughs> but if he had, you can imagine him yelling at the television screen, no, come on, Andy, show no partiality. Why? Well, because God is not like this. He doesn't put aside the old-timer, the cowboy of a past generation, the one who was dull, not very interesting, and instead choose the vibrant, the exciting, and the flashy. Time and time again, God takes the undeserving, the broken, the weak, the wicked, and decides in his mercy to adopt them into his royal family as his children. What an amazing joy it is to be welcomed into God's kingdom, where we're not chosen by our strengths and gifts, and we're not rejected because of our weaknesses and problems. So you would expect the people of God's kingdom to function in a way that reflects such glorious mercy and compassion, especially for other weak and broken people around us. The people who James is writing to, they have been welcomed into God's uh, kingdom by his mercy and by his love from what we have seen. But they're malfunctioning in all sorts of horrid ways. And this happens, as we've seen, to anyone who loses sight of who God is and what his character is like. They become double-minded. They become lost at sea. They drift from the truth that Jesus is their king. And they are his royal subjects based on nothing but God's mercy. We saw at the end of chapter 1 how this direction of travel leaves a person in a very bad place, producing bad behavior. And as we move into chapter 2, what we see is this bad direction of travel leaves people treating God's people badly. So let's jump into the text and begin with our first point. Love born of desire shows partiality. Now, in some ways, today's message seems simple, and we needn't read any further than verse 1. Verse 1 is clear. Brothers and sisters, show no partiality. And then we saw in the reading that chapter 2 has what seems like a very helpful illustration uh, for anyone on the welcome team at church. So let's read it, verse 2 to 4. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Clearly, these people are giving the best seats to the rich, and the worst seats to the poor. And we all know this is not how it's meant to go in church, and it seems pretty straightforward. But I think if you look at verse 4, I feel like it's, it's quite odd language for just helpful advice for the welcome team. Judges with evil thoughts. It seems quite strong. Now, a few of us will have uh, previously been at a big 
like city church that's growing and there's people coming in all the time, new people every, every day. And in the evenings, we, many of us will experience where usually men uh, would come in and they'd be drunk, they'd be in soiled clothing, um, they usually have multiple bags, they, they, they seem to be uh, homeless or, or with, temporarily without a home, and they just really want someone to talk to. And usually you get a very small group of people who will go over and maybe even uh, less who will actually just be drawn to them and that will be their, their ministry. Um, and the rest of people will stay clear. They'll stay at a distance. Uh, maybe they don't feel safe. Maybe they don't feel that they can approach them. And this is not ideal. It is something for everyone to work on. But I'd never say to those people who felt like they couldn't go over, you are judges with evil thoughts. And I think that's because this illustration is doing way more than uh, just giving the welcome team helpful advice. I think this is pushing at how far these people have wandered from God's truth. And I think this illustration is piercing to the heart in a way that is beyond just treating people equally. So how is this illustration doing this? Well, let's take a look at the rich folks. It seems to suggest the rich people who uh, have been welcomed so warmly, they're actually involved in the persecution and the oppression of these Christians. And clearly they have no love for God. But again, being good to these kinds of people is not a bad thing. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, says Jesus. So let's think more about the poor folk. The poor brothers and sisters of the congregation are being trampled on because there are people joining the congregation who some deem are of more value. And they are deemed more value because they look valuable. They are rich and wealthy people, powerful people, no doubt, influential. These people will get things done. And so in one foul swoop, because they are blinded by how valuable these people look, the people James is writing to, they put down the people who love God, and instead they put on a pedestal those who hate God. So how has this, this happened? Well, it's certainly not by following God's truth, and, and James reminds them of that truth in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? In no way whatsoever is this how God has chosen people for his kingdom. Verse 1, James describes Jesus as the Lord of glory. These people know the story of Jesus. They know he went to what looked like a very inglorious death. What glory did they see as, as people nailed Jesus to a piece of wood? What glory was there when Jesus' bleeding body was raised for all to see? What glory was there when people shouted abuse and hurled insults at him? Most of us here will have had many job interviews, and for uh, lots, there's many to come. 
Uh, but we all know the basic mechanisms of an interview. Uh, you basically, you try and accentuate your, your strengths and you disguise your weaknesses. Um, personally, I have a really bad attention span and I'm not very good at organizing. Uh, so in most interviews, I say that I'm very creative and a little bit eccentric. <laughs> but that's not how we present ourselves to Jesus. As we fall on our knees at the foot of the cross, we offer up all our weaknesses in truth and absolute, which he already knows. And he welcomes us as people to build his kingdom with. Now, like a lot of application in James, we, we might be tempted to think, look, I'm not showing the top end of how bad this is. And so it's not really that relevant to me, but maybe to someone else. But we need to ask, what's going on then behind what James calls partiality? What's really going on behind this favoritism? Well, I think it's a, a bad calculation for the value of worldly glory against the value of heavenly glory. In order to get what they think they desire, they trample over God's people. And when they trample over God's people, they trample over the body of Lord Jesus. And now I think we're really getting into the, the serious question that God has for us today. In what ways do we trample over the body of our Lord Jesus to get what our hearts desire? Now, I'm not going to run through a list of examples and eventually you'll just tick off what you need to repent to. But I think it's a question that we all need to go to Jesus today and ask of him. Show me, Lord, where in my life am I trampling over you to get what I desire? What ways do my desires and values actually hurt other Christians? How are my values hurting people around me? <coughs> There are people amongst us today, maybe all of us, definitely myself, who have felt so undervalued at times by the standards of other Christians that we've felt trampled over. So what do we do with this? Well, our king knows exactly what it's like to be trampled on because of the value systems of so-called religious people. Just as we go to Jesus to repent for being the persecutor, we go to Jesus to be healed for being the persecuted. So let's now move on to our, our second and final point. Love born of mercy shows mercy. Now, this, this passage um, has a really important message for the individual, which we've explored there. But it's, there's a lot to be said about God's community. James is, is pushing for how God cares for the individual and how the, the individual behaves. But the big emphasis is how the individual is part of a body of people. God cares for each member of his kingdom community and how they function as a community. So let's take a look at verses 8 to 11 and see how they work. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, 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 also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. I found this, this section quite confusing. I didn't think it yeah, flowed necessarily that well, and I really had to wrestle to find a meaning. But here's my best effort. Verse 8, I believe, works to remind Uh, Remind them that God's kingdom of royal people has a royal law. And like any law, it is there to protect and uphold the people. So let's turn all the way back to Leviticus and let's see how this works. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 19, I'll give you some time to get there. And if we look at the section from verses 1 to 18, you'll see in verse 1 we have the words which we had in our order of service. You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God, for for I the Lord your God am holy. Now, if you look down to verse 18, you'll see that that section ends, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this little section is all about God's holy community that should speak and act in a way that reflects the fact that God is holy. This is not just a a nice ethic or a good thing to do. It's born out of the fact that God is holy and calls us to live in his holy community. Now, uh, Don Carson says this about Leviticus 19. It dispels any idea that holiness in the Old Testament was merely a matter of ritual purity. It was to be displayed in every corner of practical life, from the corners of your beard to the corners of your fields. Holiness, therefore, was not something that you pursued by retreating from everyday life into some religious sanctum, We talked about that last week. Holiness meant transforming everyday life by the quality of behavior that was utterly different from the surrounding ways of the world. God has saved a people, shown mercy on a people, not so they could heap curses upon themselves with more sinful living, but so they could be an extension of his holiness in the sinful world. And what's interesting about this this section as well, if you just take a look at verse 15, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. It turns out James has spent a good deal of time thinking about this letter and how he puts it together. In a letter written to a group of Christians who are wandering away from holy living, James deliberately uses language to remind them of how far they've wandered from God's truth. It's not just ethics, it's not just moral or help, morals or helpful advice. 
It's God's word working to change sinful people in a broken world into the image of the holiness of God. And I believe that's why James says in verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But why does James say, verse 11, and why does he finish with 11 and 12? Well, 9 and 11, some guys often talk about God's law like a window. They use an illustration to, to explain this. And they say that a small chip in one area of the window spreads and shatters the hole. No one part of the window pane is disconnected to the whole thing. And I think this is a helpful image. But they tend to then follow up with how partiality is just as serious a sin as adultery or, or murder, because it's all part of God's law. I'm not entirely convinced that's what James is pushing at here, maybe, but my best guess is, and to use the, the image of a cracked window, is that when you show the kind of partiality that is in view in this passage, your sin vibrates across the whole body of God's people, across the community, for who the law keeps holy. When you commit adultery, it's a crime against the body. When you commit murder, it's a crime against the body. When you show partiality, it's a crime against the body. Speaking and acting in a sinful way towards God's people is a crime against God and angers him deeply because he loves each one of his children impartially. And he demands that we do the same. But, of course, we fail. And so aren't we glad then that verse 11 and 12 are true? Sorry, 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We are starting our Bible overview on Sunday evenings, as Rupert mentioned. And tonight we set off in Genesis. What a book to reveal the way wicked people treat one another. What a book to reveal the way that God is just and judges, but wow, does he show mercy. Even from the start, when Adam and Eve deserved nothing but the grave, he showed mercy. The story continued. When the sin continued, the partiality, the adultery, the murder, all of this continued, and yet God's mercy continued. God isn't without judgment, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And mercy has a name. Mercy is Jesus. God's kingdom is not made up of people who deserve to be there, but in God's mercy, he allowed people to enter his kingdom by pouring out his wrath of judgment on Jesus. For Christians, mercy is acquired and judgment is taken by Jesus. This is what it means to live under the law of liberty. 
remembering the mercy we've been shown, remembering how undeserving we are to be welcomed into God's kingdom, remembering the holiness of God, remembering the holy community we are called to be, remembering to love the way God loves. The simple message is that we should love God's people the way he loves. And so as we approach the end of our time together in this passage today, let's briefly reflect on the, on the way Jesus loves. The gospel, gospels are full of stories of our king loving from a posture of mercy. He ate with those who the Jewish communities had rejected. He was drawn towards people like the demon-possessed man who was chained up and pushed away from the community. Jesus valued the poor widow's offering of two small copper coins as more than all the rich people had given. When the woman washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair, and the Pharisees look at her in disgust, Jesus says her many sins are forgiven because she loves him so much. Even the thief who was hanging next to him at the cross, Jesus welcomed him into paradise because he saw Jesus as the king that he is. So let us love as our king loves. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to dwell amongst us in such humility. Out of your divine love, you came to us in compassion, though we didn't deserve it. You welcomed us into your kingdom and you breathed into our dead bodies your loving, living spirit. Help us we pray to love all those in your kingdom with the same love that you have loved us. Build and unite us at Edinburgh North Church in the name of love and in the name of mercy. Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.